0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Good evening, everybody. This is The Long Road to Ruin, and I am your host, the Mandator Reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. Uh, before we get into tonight's topic, I have some business I need to get out of the way right up front. Uh, one, I apologize to Sean, Alexis, and everybody else who listened to our last couple of shows um, between Long Road to Ruin and Metal Hammer of Doom, where my audio was inaudible as fuck, um, or as they say, inaudible as fuck. Um, I apologize. I <laughs> i don't know if it could have been helped. Um, may have been a microphone issue, may have been a blog talk issue, may have been a slow processing computer issue. I don't really know. Um, I've gone about the, the getting a headset and microphone, um, and the test I ran on it worked. So far our pre-show conversation There was no echo There was no inaudible Mark sound um, Which if there is one now I'm going to feel sheepish But uh, so far so good So again I apologize I I take this stuff seriously Believe it or not And I'm sure some of you are like Dude you're fucking clown sheepish What do you mean you take this seriously Well I mean look I, I have a sense of humor But I do try to take the production On this stuff seriously um, I run the Rattling and Broad Talk Radio, like a um, like a business, believe it or not, and when i when I have bad production problems uh, like inaudible sound, it's if it's frustrating for you, it's maddening for me. Um, and I take pride in what we do here, believe it or not. So I felt bad about it. I spent the money, I think I fixed it, hopefully I fixed it. and going forward with any show that we do. Hopefully that won't be a problem again. And if it is, I I don't know what to do. (laughs) Um, The second thing I need to get out of the way is uh, apologies to Gavin Napier and anyone else who was looking forward to him and me talking about the Paul Thomas Anderson uh, movies. Uh, Just ran out of time. Uh, My wife was in a car accident last week. She's fine. She's fine. She was not injured. It was a fender bender, but Um, it caused havoc with the schedule and, you know, something's got to get cut. So we cut the show. We're going to reschedule it for a later date. Um, we're going to talk. Gavin and I will talk. There will be blood and the master because God knows I watched half of that movie and have lots of questions. Mostly, why does anyone like this movie? Um, so I I, I, I owe that to Gavin. I owe that much to him. Um, We'll get it done. I just got to get it rescheduled probably sometime in early 2017 after the holidays. Excuse me. Uh, And lastly, and after I make this announcement, I'm going to bring on my co-host. This is it. This is it. This is the last Long Road to Ruin. We uh, we did not know this would be the last show when we planned it. Uh, And I have to give a quick shout out to Mr. Rocco. Super fan, James Rocco, who has been asking us to do this uh, Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy for a while now. Uh, he's also been asking us to do um, commentaries on movies. Commentaries, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll get there. It's just a matter of blocking out the time and figuring out how to do it. Still on the to-do list. Um, but he had, he had been asking for this, and so I wanted to. So if we we're going to have a last show. I wanted it to be this one. Uh, and just as a way of saying thank you to him. And before the end of the show tonight, we'll, uh, we'll do a full round of thank yous to all the people who've supported the show. But I wanted to thank him up front, especially. Um, in any case, this is our last show, and uh, that's not the last for me and Sean. Sean will be on our assassin, Daniel Hollywood, reviewing Assassin's Creed, and then uh, starting uh, early January, we'll be doing a new show called On Trial. Um, and, that, and therein lies the issue. Uh, never mind some of the personal stuff that was going on, which I'm not going to get into, and there's no point anymore to talk about it. But it, personal stuff aside, between Sean and I, we we kind of came to the conclusion that this show had run its course. Yes, there are many many other franchises yet to do. We never got around to the Godfather um, or the Indiana Jones movies, but I, I think we We have done our bit for God and country, and it was time to try on something something new. Um Sean and I are both very uh, motivated, creative people, and I think sometimes both of us run in separately, and together both of us run into the issue of uh, not boredom as such, but wanting to try new challenges, wanting to do something different. Um, and, you know the show ran for a while, so. I, uh, I know for myself, I, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, and so we came up with On Trial. I'm very excited about it. It was an idea that had been gestating since we looked at the X-Men movies earlier this year. And Sean doesn't know this, but I've actually planned out most of next year's On Trial schedule. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, I'm not surprised at all. Not in the least. <laughs> um,
1: I'll eventually let him in on what we're doing. What I decided we're doing. I left some
2: dates <laughs> open for you, though. I,
1: I did leave some dates open for you. Um, but yeah, hey, I. Uh, we, um, I
2: thought we promised we were alternating the movies.
1: We do. We are. That's what I mean by really, I left some dates open for you. Half the oh, year.
2: okay. You mean you? You mean you've picked your movies? Correct. Okay. I and we're still starting with Big Trouble in Little China, right?
1: Yeah, that hasn't changed. Okay. Okay, good. Um, in any case, uh, so so um, that's that. that. That's all the business. Um, let's uh, let's get into this. Our very last long road to ruin. And then when we're done talking about these movies, I'll you know, I'll say a few more words. So we'll Sean. I'm sure. Speaking of Sean, you heard him just now. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, my co-host, Sean Comer. How you doing, Sean?
2: How do you do? I'm Sean. You're not and Flonase is made of anti snot magic i swear to god <laughs>
1: <classy>. That's or...
2: <laughs> that stuff is that stuff is straight up miraculous i've, I've sure? been sick since this i've been sick since this past weekend so if you hear me coughing that's why but the good news is when i got home sunday night and right on into monday morning I could scarcely breathe through my nose. I don't know <laughs> what happens at four at about four thousand feet, um, and with all the allergies, that was up there, and the all all the allergens, all them allergies that are up there in that darn press get up in them mountains, uh, uh, but wreaked unholy havoc on me. So I'm going to sound a little bit off, but. Uh, yeah, for starters, Mark is not kidding. He, all I do, all I have to do on these podcasts is just show up with my research, my notes, and just uh, for better and for worse, be myself. Mark is the one who messages me and tells me, "Okay, this is what I got laid out for the rest of for the rest of the year. Let me know what you think." And half the time, I've usually got like five other things going on at the same time. So I read it, I look for anything that stands out to me, and otherwise I just say, Okay, that's <laughs> cool, let's do it. And then generally about five minutes later, I'll have to ask him, When are we doing this again? <laughs> he 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 is I am I am sometimes the J to his Kevin Smith.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Don't 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 let it bug you. I have a lot of time at work to fuck with my calendar, um, so when, when I'm not chasing crazy people. All right, let's get into this. Uh, um, so, I have a question for you because I, I know you've done the research. I assume you have. Yeah,
0: sure. Uh, and and it's
1: this isn't one where I'm steeped in a lot of the lore. Uh, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, I mean I've I've seen Shaun of the Dead before. I've seen Hot Fuzz before. I loved both movies. And I'm not a really zombie fan, zombie movie fan, to be honest with you. But I thought Shaun of the Dead was hilarious. And Hot Fuzz, probably one of my top 20 favorite movies. I think I I love it. I could watch that on a loop. Um, I've never seen The World's End before yesterday. Um, apparently, Alan Thicke has passed away.
0: Aww. <laughs> sorry.
1: Sorry to bring the tenor of the show down, but... You know, I, I feel like I had to acknowledge the the, the beep that just occurred uh, on my desk. Yeah, my wife just sent me a, a, a private message that said, Alan Thicke had passed away. That's
2: sad. Oh, not Mr. Seaver.
1: Yeah. We'll always remember you, Mr. Seaver. Um, <laughs> all right, so best, here we go he did with the best awkward segue. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben. Um, oh, oh no,
2: no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just... Strictly talking about Kurt Cameron being flaming pants on head nanners.
1: <laughs> Whatever happened to Ben. Did he? Uh, did he turn out to be anything? Because I don't think he's done anything since Growing Pains.
2: Oh man, you know I feel like there was some kind of e true Hollywood story uh, thing that happened there, and I'm just not remembering. The only the only things that I remember about hearing hearing about behind the scenes on Growing Pains were uh, Kirk was, was Kirk was already blossoming into a fine little bigoted religious nut job then uh, <laughs> tra- uh, Tracy gold, I, I will not make a joke about this because uh, it's real close to home with me and a, and a number of people that I love uh, was plagued by an eating disorder
1: Oh poor thing
2: and. Yeah, I yeah I know. And again, I I won't say anything about about that one because it ain't anything funny about that. Uh, I will not laugh about it. I will dress down anybody who tries to make a joke about it. Um, you you as don't as have to tell as,
1: me. Some yeah, some kid yeah. some. I just learned tonight that some kid's calling my daughter fat in her classroom. So I had to deal with that tonight. Oh so, hell yeah.
2: no, Lily.
1: <laughs> yeah
2: she's she's what how old?
1: Uh she'll be 6 in January.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. Um if he were a few years older I would say let that Brock Lesnar looking son of yours loose on him. <laughs> <laughs> I have
1: a funny feeling when he gets of age that that's the sort of thing that will be happening on an on right? basis. But...
2: Um, but uh but as far as Ben goes uh no I I mean, it's nothing scandalous or anything, but I think I I think I heard that he the actor is gay. I think, or I or I could be thinking of the kid from Who's the Boss, or maybe both of them for all I I know. But I mean, you know, that's you know nothing salacious or anything about it. Just like guys, good for him. Um, but no, uh, Alan Thicke. Oh man, yeah. Canada is less one less great great man this evening. But anyway, um, yeah, getting yes. back, getting okay. back to getting off you that question impromptu eulogy uh yeah you had <laughs> uh you had a question about the cordetto trilogy,
1: yes, I did, okay, so I just watched uh, the World's end last night for the very first time. It's not one that I mm-hmm. initially interested in, but you know, I eventually I wanted to see it, and that's what made memes, uh you know, really good for me was a music yeah, I watched. Um, I didn't realize that other than this the same group of actors uh, that until Rocco had suggested it, that it was a trilogy of sorts. And I did a little bit of reading on it, but not much. Mm. Like I said, not steeped in the lore. So here's my question after a 20-minute Bill, mm. Did Edgar Wright intend this to be a trilogy or was it sort of after the fact?
2: I don't know that he really intended it to. Um and I mean yeah, it's a it's a trilogy in a loose sense in the same way in the same way that I mean it's it's on this show because yeah, I guess it's loosely a franchise in that yeah, it it's themed after the, the flavors of Cornetto ice cream, but really it's it it's a connected continuous franchise in about the same way the first three volumes of Kevin Smith's Jersey anthology are, uh, which, which is to say, which is to say barely at all. Um, uh, You know, Shaun of the Dead in particular, since that's our starting point, uh, there really is no, real fascinating genesis about that except for the fact that Edgar Wright and uh, Simon Pegg both worked together on the BBC on the BBC's Spaced uh, along with Nick Frost which is a superb show and if the BBC hadn't gotten the biscuit up their bum and yanked it off Netflix it would still be available there to watch now a little bitter about that but uh, it it was a real kind it was a real great comedy for uh kind of gen x-ish uh nerds kind of like well, kind of like you and myself mark um kind of uh kind of slacker geeks seeking direction sort of and from there sprang this idea to do a, well, as the marketing so succinctly put it, a rom-zom-com, a romantic zombie comedy. And, you know, for a change, I'm not going to blow my wad with my opinions of it right out of the gate. But I'll just say that uh, as far as this one goes... I generally have a very extreme either take-it-or-leave-it relationship with uh, the zombie craze. Uh, it's, it's, everything is either a roaring hit with me, or it's bland, unremarkable, and I haven't the faintest of earthly clues what anybody sees in it. Uh, Hot Fuzz was actually based on a student film that Wright had made uh, which <laughs> uh judging from the Wikipedia entry, he described as lethal weapon in I I forget what the name of the village was now, uh San- Shire Dumb or I don't know. Um, <laughs> sure enough one of my first F P G knew The Shire. <laughs> Yes, what's us It's called it The Shire. Yeah, um, he said he said it was it, that his his movie was basically supposed to be *Lethal Weapon* in *The Shire*. And so, what ultimately ended up happening was, like a lot of other films, like Christopher Nolan's *Following* or uh, James Wan with *Saw*, uh, it ended up becoming a full, basically a full-length feature of feature of its own. It just kind of took off from that. And then, I guess they decided well, we did too. We kind of declared it a trilogy. Guess it's time to close this out, and we ended up getting uh the world's end which the the funniest story about that is the fact that at the time um Simon Pegg at one point, I guess were I guess had a conversation with Seth Rogen who was working on a very similarly titled movie. And it also revolved around a kind of madcap apocalyptic premise. And uh, Seth asked Simon if he would mind retitling his movie, Uh, which uh, just putting, just putting it out there. I hold Seth Rogen in roughly about the same regard as James Franco, which is to say <laughs> he has one character that he usually plays, and that character has been funny to me, I think, about twice. And in Seth's case, I believe that would be super bad and Pineapple Express. I would throw 40-Year-Old Virgin in there, but... Honestly, I sometimes forget he was even in it, even though he had a major supporting role. But uh, Simon politely told, told him, well, no, we can't really do that because our title actually refers to a central location that's key to the plot in our movie. And so um, Seth ended up titling his, I think it's uh, This is the End Correct was what his movie was ultimately called. Yeah, um, yeah, his, his piece of shit comedy uh, <laughs> was ultimately the one that had that had to bend and change all change all its branding, which rightfully so because while I can't say I was overwhelmed by the world's end, uh, it was as one would expect when comparing anything Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost do. To anything that Seth Rogen does, uh, the far and away superior movie. So uh, that's uh, that's really about it, though. Uh, strangely, I didn't, I never caught anything that actually said, "Oh yeah, we're here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna lay this all out. We're going first. It's gonna be Shaun of the Dead, and then it's going to be Hot Fuzz, uh, and then we're going." And they were going to end it all with the world's end. From what I can tell, they made Shaun of the Dead. It ended up being shockingly popular, more so than anybody anticipated. And from there, like it, like it happens with, with breakout comedy teams like that, the first thing they wanted to know was, what else you got?
1: So um, okay, very good. Um, yeah, I, I, it's there are there are definitely some themes that are that run throughout all three movies, especially Shaun of the Dead and The World's End. Hot Fuzz, eh, less so. Um, Shaun of the Dead is is clearly a uh, yes, it is a romantic comedy set in a zombie film, but the whole thing. As near as I can tell, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is also a sort of a parody, a parody done right, a parody done the way Mel Brooks intended parodies to be, not the way <clears throat> the Wayans brothers intended them to be. Uh, well, yeah, um, I mean you're you know,
2: you're, you're, so you're well. not you're not you're not wrong, but I think there's I think there's a better way to put it. The way they're all set up is, believe it or not, you know what I like in these three movies, too, Mark. You're not going to believe this. The Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> no, seriously. Go on. Um, well, because the the reason I say that is because what I love most about the Marvel movies is and I'll I'll never forget my my good friend Cole Marintet uh pointing this out to me, and I gave it a moment's thought and I went, Hell, you're absolutely right. He said they use superheroes not necessarily as a genre in themselves, but a setting as a backdrop right. to tell a story against. And I've, I've played out the same, the same examples a number of times, but I'll go ahead and throw them out there again for our, our first. And by the way, way to join the party late guys, listeners. And that is, for example, uh, you have Avenger. Uh, that's, very much uh, an Indiana Jones style historical action epic. Uh, uh, Thor, I tend to view as very much a kind of almost high fantasy. Uh, uh, Iron Man is a tri- is a trilogy of tech thrillers. Uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, as opposed to the First Avenger is a very taut political conspiracy thriller, Ant-Man is a heist comedy, so on and so forth. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is um, kind of a a comedic space opera. Uh, Probably the closest our generation is ever going to get in theaters to Star Wars. But uh, the Cornetto trilogy kind of does the same thing in each, mo- in each of their three movies, slightly less so with Hot Fuzz, but with, with Shaun of the Dead, and I'll just kind of go through each of them as we get to them. With Shaun of the Dead, you have a zombie apocalypse as the backdrop to a very relatable story when you take the time to really connect to it. And that's the story of a man who's been sleepwalking through his life with very little ambition, nothing to look forward to. And all of a sudden he looks around him one day and finds himself a man apart and not really sure entirely has survived because one by one he's losing out on the survivors who are even remotely like him until he's got no one but himself, his best friend, and his long-suffering, impatient girlfriend pull him through. And that's one of the things about the zombie genre that really tends to bother me, and that's the fact that zombies have been used as a heavy, ham-fisted punch square on the nose of allegory so many times that it's it's just almost obnoxious by this point, how obvious it becomes. Uh, going clear back to George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead, uh, they were an allegory for Racism and fear and prejudice, uh, okay, um, with Dawn of the Dead, uh, he not so subtly used them to, I guess, kind of take some of the piss out of, uh, rampant consumerism with, uh, oh, the fuck's the one I'm thinking of, uh, the last one that he did, the, the really shitty one that's centered on a big luxury car, Land of the Dead. That's it. Uh, You've got elements of segregated classism. And other movies have, have tried to do the same shit. But, like you said before, it's it's an attempt to do a parody, but it's a parody with heart. And when American movies try to do parody yeah you know, it's it is very much the american way we we cannot wait to flop out our big red white and blue dick and wave it and wave it in your face and show you how proud we are we are of it uh we, when we do a when we do a parody we absolutely think it's the most brilliant goddamn thing ever made As so much so that we can't wait to enthusiastically explain the brilliance behind every single joke we're putting up on screen. We, we can't wait to show you how many things we can reference in 90 minutes to two hours. Because, oh my God, it is going to be an orgasm of satire. Only it isn't. Um, I mean... Funny, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Edgar Wright and, and Simon Pegg, uh, in particular, when they decide to satirize something, oh, yeah, there, there's references aplenty. I mean, Hot Fuzz, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, uh, contains references, uh, both kind of in terms of incidental clips playing in the background, DVD covers, and just little winking homages to more than 100 different action movies. Uh but it's something that's really done in a very sly manner well and in hot fuzz's case especially since as as both simon and simon and uh, edgar noted england doesn't really have any quintessential action cop movement. So it's sort, of, it's sort of them kind of having a little fun with it from the outside looking in on something that, that isn't really theirs. So, But yeah, it, it's, that, it's that kind of that, that smart subtlety about it that they, they, they tend to kind of give the audience a little more credit that they'll get the joke and don't need it kind of crammed down their craw.
1: It's funny you mentioned uh, the difference between, like, American comedies and some of the I was talking to my friend about this uh, uh, early in the 80s. said, we were talking about, and I, and I don't want to get sidetracked into a long discussion about this because once was enough this past summer, but I, I needed it to make a <laughs> point. Um, sure. We were, we, were t- we were talking about Ghostbusters this year, and, you know, we it was a part of a larger discussion. But I said, you know, I am using that as an example of you know, he he was saying to me, like, you know, I saw that trailer for Ghostbusters and it just looked like crap. And I and it didn't matter. No stuff really matter. I just wasn't interested in that movie. And I said, you know, but here's here's the thing. The trailer for Ghostbusters that was no different than any of the American comedy trailers you see these days. Occasionally you have why Robert and I don't review them on Damn You Hollywood, is it's gag, set up gag. Everybody acts like clowns that, you know, aren't even remotely relatable in any real life situation.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the trails are cut that way. So if you, so the example I was giving in comparison were, you know, if you look at Why uh, Him, the Brian Hansen movie with James Franco where his daughter's being the the, the Facebook guy and he's a weirdo, Um, and Office Christmas Party. Those are two big comedies that are out right now. They're both cut the same way, and they look like garbage. And if you would (laughs) – the example I used was if instead of Ghostbusters, they had decided they were going to call the movie Ghost Bitches and (laughs) had no association with the original movie at all. It was a brand-new thing. And cut the same exact trailer, it wouldn't have garnered even half. Instead, it would have looked like your typical American shit comedy. But it had a franchise attached to it, and sacred some, and people got. Now I'm bringing people who legitimately look at this, this shit shit the way to look at that's fine. that's all but there were definitely people who who have fine, they call any Ghostbusters. Based on the fact that, that you are meeting a lot of American comedy and thinking this is not People
0: don't like them.
1: They do well. Americans make money. Um, you have the occasional one, like I said. I think the last Schumer comic came out uh, that, that I just it. it. was actually very well written. That was in Gag. You know, the comedy was inherent in the, you know, the way the characters were interacting, and it wasn't just try to shove as many laughs in a five-minute period as you can. Um, and that's to link this back to Sean of the Dead. That was my
0: he movie, was
1: instead of putting the comedy down your throat the way American comedy, modern American comedy does, um, you know your Will Smith comedies for the most part. The the, the less were very natural. There was a lot of dude sort of uh, straight, like straight lines being delivered, but they were delivered in, like in in interesting scenarios. So yeah, every time a cat got read at all, which is not like, like you know, it's not as crazy in the movie. Um, it, you know, it's a line that's being delivered of a, about a very obvious, thing, but it's terrible to me, you know, just the middle, in the middle of this nonsense that's going on, noticing he has red on his shirt. That's to me, um, and that's an example of things. Um, I mean, some, and some are a little set up guy, you know, uh, him defending uh, the Nick Frost character. <laughs> and, then, and as soon as he's done Defending him, Nick Frost Is any good cunt A little gaggy A little set up, a little gaggy But it's okay, it's okay to do that in small doses. One is, in your comedies to have, Like I said The last comedy Over Of uh, Over the course of the, the plot being Developed, and the characters Being developed, and uh and not just set up on... Hey, up, Mark. Yeah.
2: I got good news and I got bad news. Okay. The good news is the echo. Merciful Jesus roasting on a stick over an open fire is gone. I have not Yay. heard it once. It has not thrown me off the bad news is I struggle to maintain most to maintain most of everything you said. Although I agree with everything that I could pick that I could pick up, because the call has been warbling in and out for the last several minutes, and I've been waiting for it to get to get better. Um, let me ask you something: Is my reception coming through okay?
1: You're fine. Occasionally you get a little fish bully, but um, for the most part you're. <sighs>
2: yeah see it's i'm gonna i'm gonna duck out real quick and try to re and try to rejoin the call in just a second because I don't know what the don't know what the deal is um this only seems to happen when I'm doing calls with blog with blog talk and it was fine when we were doing doing the pre show it was fine during the first part of the show but now all of a sudden it's going all wonky and I have no idea what's going on so one last time, live everybody. All right, I'm going to call back in about call back in just a second. I'll be right back. Okay.
1: Um, while Sean takes a quick uh, break and dials back in. Uh, let me quick do a very very quick plot synopsis of this thing, uh, as we do just you know in case you haven't seen these movies. Uh, so, in fifty words or less, I'm not going to go beat by beat by beat, but basically uh, as she was pointing out, you have one hand uh, a situation where you have a character uh as you will uh who is sort of down on his luck. he's as sean he is sleepwalking life um, he lives with uh one roommate and then the Nick Frost character has sort of just been sleeping on the couch uh and and the guest that won't leave. Uh the movie begins with his with his relationship in turmoil um
2: and by the way this is this is much better. I don't know what happened there, but
1: may just be a thing just you know when it starts to get wonky, one of us has to dial back in. happens with Jesse all the time
0: um
1: uh, okay.
2: that helps
0: uh
1: I also try to be a little bit more still. I don't know if that's affecting things at all, but I, it might that that you know me moving around a lot might also be messing with the mic. In any case, uh, so wait, we actually, about... I think
2: I, I think I I think I might have just figured out what it might might be. Um, I'm at yeah, I am out I am outside right now, um, but I think maybe it might be picking up ambient noise or something when I don't have. When I don't have the call muted while you're talking, so what I'm going to do is, God knows, I shouldn't have to, going to mute the call so you're not picking up anything from my end while you're talking, and see if maybe okay. that helps. I, I'm kids, I am throwing science at the wall and seeing what sticks here. Um, so, so go right ahead. I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit mute and just keep talking.
0: Okay.
1: So, what we hear at the beginning is uh, Sean relationship in turmoil with his girlfriend. Um, the, it's a tale as all the time. The girl is expecting for a guy. The guy is not quite ready to give more. doesn't want the relationship to end but is just sort of uh, she ends up breaking up with him. We have another character who's her best friend who's secretly in love with her but her girlfriend uh, which we'll learn about over the course of the movie. Uh, and that takes us to kind of the first beat of "One of the Dead" departure. <laughs> slight move away from this the comedy, you know, guy in the in the midst of trying to figure out his life and figure out how to win with his girlfriend to deal with zombies. And again, this is where such a big difference between. American and British uh, comedy for the most part humor, is you have these zombies that show up at the character's home and they, first they don't realize what it is they're doing. they think they're doing with drugs. Uh, then the woman falls on a, <laughs> on a pole and, and it impales her. And they realize, well, she, she's also not quite a lot. They don't quite know what to make of it. And then they just start to deal with problems with, with the tools they have at hand. And of course, not very adequately, but you know, they, they they make do. And it's built. You know, they start with like this rotten stuff at them. And I'll tell you, uh, again, one of the funniest bits is be is in the subtleties. Like, getting... Of records together. Now, as somebody who hosts some record review show, uh, you know, metal specifically, the Metal Hammer Room Wednesdays at 9 o'clock on the, on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network, um, somebody who is a huge fan of music, absolutely see myself, you know, it, it, to throw record zombies, throw that one, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one, that one's fine. And some of the choices they picked were really funny to me. Uh, and then just getting fed up with the whole thing, going, in, <laughs> going into the shed and grabbing what looks to be like a cricket bat and uh, a shovel. And the movie just sort of goes on from there. Um, as far as directing and style, there's a lot of cuts, a lot of close-ups, a lot of repetition. This is something that will happen in, in and The World's End. Uh, it, it very much is Edgar Wright. Thing. Uh, they realize that the zombies have sort of overtaken, you got to make sure that the girlfriend is safe, mom is safe, they gotta place and got wait for this whole thing and kind of, that's the threat that takes us to uh, the major ones. once all The long uh, and then, which is sort of the last stand for this group. Uh, a couple of different scenarios uh, to deal with. At one point, there's power, the power, then perhaps these good people. street and then they are tagged uh, by bus uh, they are the last two remaining
0: uh, of the game shows
1: dealing with the romantic comedy tropes the relationship tropes and the zombie tropes is the magic that makes this movie work so well. I say that as somebody who's I've watched a few of them. Um, They're over there. Dawn is one of those that are fired. And they movies, the heart of a good movie Identify <laughs> the label characters to each other. Uh, the can kind of revolve, and that was, I think, the big and a major source of my enjoyment. <laughs> More and feeling, you
0: know, want more. more Still on mute. There you go. Oh. You you?
2: I figured out what the problem. I think I figured out what the problem is. I don't think it's you're you're using Skype, right?
1: I figured out the mic issue. And so
2: yeah, I, well, yeah, the the, the the headset solved the echo issue, unfortunately, nothing can solve, because I, I recognize it now, this is the, uh, this exact same thing happened the other day when I was uh, talking to my friend Scarlett on Skype, and in fact, our call dropped twice, um, so, mm-hmm. fucking hell, um,
1: let, me try, let me try disconnecting the direct let me try disconnecting the direct uh,
2: yeah what I said. It, give it a shot
1: I'm going to you to give your impressions of the film and things that stood out to you Oh, so, let me back in
2: okay um, yeah I, I guess I'll just go ahead I had everything kind of organized into a back and forth between Mark and I. But I guess now I'll just let fly with my thoughts. One of the things that stands out to me most is the fact that I like that this, <laughs> the, the, the way that Sean and Ed uh, react to everything is very much to me the way that someone like me and a number of my friends would probably react to this same scenario in a lot of instances we uh, we are not going to be fucking leon s Kennedy okay, most of us uh we're We are not going to be able to probably patch uh, a tin bucket and drills together into a into a weapon. uh We're not going to be running around shopping running around shopping malls. Plunging nails into MMA gloves uh, to to basically to basically make a set of gauntlets. No,
0: a lot of this is that
2: that really weird mix of confusion, horror, bemusement, uh, just grabbing whatever you can and just flailing and fighting around however you have to in order to survive. Uh, we, you know, we we aren't going to be sticking hidden gems we found into family crests, so that we can turn a hidden section of wall around and find a key that we got to combine the two other keys that we got to fight sharks and snakes and plant monsters and giant spiders to get to, so that we can go downstairs that we can open the ancient coffin and get the rocket launcher. That ain't the way it's gonna work. Oh you know, yeah, we we will we will grab cricket bats uh, if someone happens to be a vinyl collector. Uh, you sure is shooting somebody the instant you grab a record to fling at somebody is going to is going to piss and moan because it's because it's their limited edition white stripes LP. That they picked up last record store day. Uh, <laughs> so it's that's that's the way you're go. That's the way you're going to react. I mean, we we are not Arnold Schwarzeneggers. Uh, you know, we we're not we're not we're not Sylvester Stallones. We're not Wesley Snipes. Fuck on our best days, most of us are barely reb fucking brown. Um. These are just two ordinary guys, um, uh, who, to to paraphrase, and I apologize, it all started to Kurt Russell for butchering this. You know, reasonable men who have just seen some very unreasonable things, and <laughs> that is what makes that is what makes it relatable. Is its insanity but you could buy somebody dealing with it like that. Um, and, and even, even prior to there being no more room in hell and the dead walking the earth, you know, everybody in this movie, there's a little thread of them that you can kind of grasp onto. And the material just feels familiar. Uh, well, well, Ed, for example, we all, especially at mine and Mark's age, we have at least, <coughs> excuse me, one or two of those friends. Um, those ones where everybody else keeps trying to point out, to point out to us, they're just a little bit behind the curve. Um, hell, I had one of those going clear back to high school until a few years ago. Um, in fact, my dad pointed it out to me a number of times until I finally just couldn't ignore it anymore. But you know, you love him anyway. You know, you you you'll, you'll go right along with it. You can't you can't really argue with it. But still, you just can't put a price on their loyalty. Um, a lot of people have kind of been that that overly patient significant other who just doesn't know when to throw in the towel until finally it's just uh, one bridge too far, one toke over the line. And it just, you don't know quite exactly where your breaking point is, but you know it when you hit it. And in this case, it was just one um, time. To, one thing was, I wanted to. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Mark.
1: No, I was letting you finish. Um,
2: yeah, I know. I was trying
1: to tell you go oh, ahead. Hello.
2: I'm here. Okay. Oh, hi, Mark. Um,
1: yeah, one thing I wanted to point out was uh, what is that? Another thing that came very natural from the movie, and, and it, you, you you started was how you know, yes, these are ordinary guys put in extraordinary circumstances, which is, you know, usually a recipe for a pretty good film and it in the best way they know how just sort of things out of their ass or the shed as it may be, but interesting things I found. The film where Sean is somewhat rising to the challenge and he, you know, and he's coming up with ideas mm. and, you know, everything, that, that the girlfriend wanted in him is starting to is starting to bubble out of him and it's coming very naturally. He's going on instinct, but his instincts are sort of guiding them in what would appear to be the right direction. And then just as quickly as you start to see these sort of personal triumphs and him getting this sort of air of confidence part. And he even and he even said the movie, He like, I couldn't I failed. Anybody, and you know, and I think the line is something along the lines of, "Look, the, 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 what could you possibly do in in these terrible circumstances? You you at least had an idea. You tried to lead, and that's all I've ever asked of you. And I thought that was important because, again, a lot I of know, movies even... go too far in the direction where.
2: No, I was gonna say Go I was even. I was gonna say even that is even that is really believable in terms of and and I speak from personal experience as somebody who a couple times has to varying degrees had to have been kind of jarred out of uh, a malaise or uh, a really unfortunate contentment. Whether it was by a sudden realization, uh, some some sea change that turned out to be more pivotal than I expected, or as was the case uh, six years ago, one person came into my life when I could have expected when I couldn't have expected her less. That, as I told her the other night, is she just she kicked down the door to my to my quiet tepid little little room and abs and absolutely just kind of set fire to everything that was holding out the sun and showed me everything that I had that I had been missing and it was then that. I kind of had to begin a process of kind of rising to the occasion and uh, kind of forcing myself to, to test my own limits and, and be more than I had allowed myself to believe, to believe I could be. And a lot of people go through that. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one. Sometimes it's the loss of a job. Sometimes it's an unexpected opportunity. It could it could be anything. It could even be uh, an, an utter catastrophe, such as this, when there's no one else to lead except except you. And it's it's one of those things. Well, another example of of a zombie franchise that I, I just I can't. I can't invest myself in the show anyway i I love the source material and I love the telltale video games, but the Walking Dead lacks emotion among a lot of these characters that a lot of their characters uh, that I can sincerely relate to, at least in terms of the way it in terms of the way it's expressed that moment uh, the the one you just mentioned when Sean says... I couldn't save any I couldn't save anybody, and there's and she reassures him that there was absolutely nothing else he could have done, and that she loves him just simply for the fact that he stood up and he stood up and gave it his all and decided to commit himself to it i mean that is is something true is something truly believable um not just everybody sort sort of walking around sporting the the same grimy the same grimy scowls and uh norman Reedus always looks like he just smelled a wet fart and uh Rick Grimes looks progressively more and more like a lost member of the Wyatt family and you know you you have these characters that all just sort of run together and as we'll also see uh, to other degrees in the next two movies it carries across the idea that in these situations you're dealing with different people who process in different ways I mean, and now I I want to go back a little bit because you uh, before I unfortunately I apologize for that cut you off. You started to say that um, in a different way, other movies kind of kind of tend to swing too far in one direction.
1: Yeah, they they either swing too far in the suddenly this the schlub, you know this this loser sleepwalking through life can do everything right, you know, and is this and becomes. You know, like John McClane, you know, Rambo, they just Mm. suddenly they, and it was like, where was, and nothing, and the only thing that's a challenge at this point is, you know, is they, is when they finally get to like a villain sequence of some sort, you know, there's, there's a bigger thing, a boss of some sort they have to deal with. Um, Ridiculous. It's, it's, got, it's the kind of stuff that Winfrey and I Have talked about with some of the movies this year Where it's like Kind of a character And yes I un- understand Arcs and personal growth But this, this is too far Or they go in the other direction Way too far which is No matter what this person is Like Sean is a balanced character um. You know his inner his, his inner lion, and he leads this group. Is playing things by ear. Um successes. There are some errors. There's a sense of pride. There's feelings of guilt. It he's for for um, co- uh, movie. It's actually very very complex. Three dimensional characters. Um that if you if you move it to one side or the other could easily be very unbalanced and very unbelievable. But I think that's 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 the beauty of these three movies is as absurd as they can be at times, the characters themselves are very are very, very human and as I said before, very relatable. I think we need last words on Shaun of the Dead hot buzz since we've been at this for an hour. Uh, So I'll go ahead and, and throw it back to you. Anything left unsaid?
2: Well, just one thing, and that is that there's something that, and it's altogether possible that I'm reading a little bit too much into it and perhaps seeing what I want to see. So just kind of indulge my synesthesia for a moment. But there's something that's really poetic about the way that the movie ends, and that is the fact that Sean goes from a man who is uh, coasting, who is just taking it easy, staying just staying the course, just sort of, I guess one could, if they want to be sanctimonious, perhaps say wallowing in his own contentment. And at the end, you see that he and his girlfriend have moved in together. He's more stable. He's happy. He's adulting. But... You know he still got Ed out in the shed that he could always make time to go play video games with and uh, there's something about that that really speaks to me, especially having just turned uh, thirty four and really not really not feeling that whole lament about my mid thirties and having sort of a an adult checklist that I've got. That I've got to tick off like I'm some completist who's racking, who's racking up uh, Xbox achievements or PlayStation trophies. But you know, it's the idea that you have you realize that there is a place still for that carefree and easygoing side of you. Just that you have to you have to kind of know where it is so that you know when you can make time to embrace it, but so that you can also look ahead and bask in everything and all and all the possibilities that are in front of you and all the new horizons and chances to grow and it and when you can do that, it makes it all that much more special when you can just sort of you know tiptoe off out out back and pick out the dual shock and just play a round or two of tekken for a little for a little while and just decompress for a bit it it's it's kind it's kind of who i am who I am as a geek. it's so that's very easy to understand, and I don't know if that was their intent but I commend them for something that I never really realized it kind of quite how poignant it was until I really settled in and watched it this time and kind of did so with open eyes, perhaps, just given my age. So, and this and then we get this this completely different much less much less personal but i would dare say easily every bit as much fun movie and hot fuzz
1: yeah of the three this is my personal favorite and i and that's partially i think due to it's it's definitely more pure send up than either the world's end or Shaun of the dead okay oh, um like i said it's This one, less uh, relationship-based and more a send-up of a genre than the other two. Um, I mean, there's some relationship stuff going on, but you could definitely see them having fun with more so, the most so, in Hot Fuzz than the other two movies, uh, number one. Number two, The Yachting Up, the buddy action uh, uh, comedy a personal favorite, the bloody action film. Uh, a bunch on this show. I've, I'm a big action person. You know, as you listen to me on this show or on Damn You Hollywood. I've talked a great deal about my love for action movies, disaster movies, comic book movies. It draws me to the theater more, uh, more so than any other of. Uh, I love them. And when I saw Hot Fuzz the first time in the theaters, I laughed my ass off because I could recognize a lot of the ending up. Um, A lot of the the jokes they were making at the expense of the genre itself were were very, very funny to me. You know, this movie than in either of the other two not only that i thought the idea itself of um it more personal thing i don't i don't i don't know if that's this that an idea of suddenly you wake up and your home has been overtaken by zombies or in the other case you you go back home again uh, only to find out half your town has been replaced by robots
2: Blank. But, you know, that, that actually, or not the hell they so call them. That actually brings to mind a um, question I'd like to ask you, though. Um, do you think sure. that it feels a little bit different in part because American, in a way, American action buddy cop movies are really kind of a product of our culture, and there are a lot of aspects to that that really just kind of don't uh, don't translate over to over to to british culture
0: um
1: i i would say if i if i get the meaning of your question three movies this one hot fuzz was the most american are very british and the world's end is the most british um, about kind of doing an office thing with any one of these, you know, in terms of well, here's the British version. Now give me an American version of the very same movie. Okay, Shaun of the Dead. You could take the same premise and put it just about anywhere in America and have result.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, hot Fuzz. In, 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 in England at all, you could have done that. in Then. The jokes about guns, basically, uh, it's more funny to me. It was more funny the idea of suddenly he he shows up in town down on a white horse, and that he pulled out of the evidence closet. There couldn't have been a more American image. I think my my daughter came home as I was watching the end of Hot buzz from school, and she was like, "Why?" Like, well, the sheriff. Has- has come back to reclaim the town, Lily. That's what's going on here, and and that's what that's an homage to, um, you know. But like I said, th- this idea of one man versus an entire town full of guns, that's an American idea. And then like the world end, you know, the idea of the one guy that never grew up uh, once he got out, you know, who peaked in high school, uh, getting his friends to come back round the route from one last route. That in America too, but I, I felt like it was funnier because it took place uh, in in England. And I and I guess that, that's subjective. You know, your mileage may vary uh, uh, on that. But of them all, all, most translatable to an American audience. I mean, you could not get what Hot Fuzz was about uh, as an American movie killer. I think I answered your
2: question. <laughs> well, a, a little bit because I mean um, the, the way I see it is the, the way it kind of breaks down is it starts with, um, with Angel. Um, his, his whole thing is he's basically being shuffled off uh, against his will from London because he's too good at his job. Uh, it's, it's a very quirky take on on the more American action movie trope. of uh, the, the one we've made fun of so many ta- times. Uh kind of damn it, McBain, you're a loose cannon, but you get the job done. Uh, you know, the the, right. the guy who's not too good yeah, the the guy who's not too good at his so much too good at his job that he's making everyone look bad. It's the fact that they wanna get rid of of, you know, McBain or or Axel Foley or Harry Callahan uh because they look on them as being fucking liabilities. And obviously right. England not having the quite the the lawless gun culture that that America has and I and I don't think having quite the same cultures of crime from what I've been made been made to understand uh, just the, the criminal world there is just so different um, I think that's the other reason why it's so interesting is because I don't think you could take a lot of American buddy cop movies and necessarily set them over there because I think a lot of a lot of English people who would watch that would be thinking to themselves the fuck is this shit Nothing is like that over here. Who who talks like that? Who acts like right. that? Uh, whereas it's <laughs> just that it's just kind of that much funnier to see their own just very very slight clever skewing of those same tropes and and those and those same and those same conventions and how it just seems like so much more of a, of a very British kind of crime that instead of it being a rampant drug Lord or a human smuggling ring, it's a town that's killing off that's that that's killing off all it's undesirables because they don't want to lose out on being named villain. On named a uh, village of the year. Yeah. You, you, know, you want to talk about something that would never exactly translate in an unironic way over here. That's that, that, that's just perfect. So in, in the same way that something like, uh, die hard or, or dirty Harry or lethal weapon is a movie that you could only set here in the United States. Uh, Hot fuzz just it wouldn't be as effective if you set it on like eight mile road detroit or or right in the heart of compton it it just wouldn't it just wouldn't work so it's it really is just kind of everything right in the right place well right down to the fact that uh even the title, believe it or not it is perfect is purposely nonsensical um I forget whether it was Peg or Wright but one of them noted in an interview they said, "Yeah, we just want to come up with the most ridiculous title that made that made no sense." I, I think they described the process of naming action movies in the US as there's a hatful of nouns and there's a hatful of adjectives and they just pick two and go with it and it didn't matter or made any sense with the movie. That was how you get titles like like Point Break and Executive Decision. So hence they just <coughs> They just kind of went...
1: One of, the great, uh, one of the great super cop movies of all times, Super Fuzz.
0: <laughs> remember that?
2: I don't remember Super Fuzz, but I remember the movie Super Cop.
1: Fuzz. Um, <laughs> very, very, very early 80s. I don't know if you can even find this on like digital video or anything anymore. Uh, but I remember when I was a kid. It was actually uh, God, I, I actually remember this very, very distinctly. Like he had these superpowers and they wouldn't work if he was looking at yellow. <laughs> Anywho, um So one of the one of the great things about Hot Fuzz, I mean you were you were talking about the very un American thing, a very British thing, that this town would kill undesirables for no, for no other reason than trying to maintain the, the and the aesthetic of the, of their, of their little village. their quiet, quite little village. Um, Cause you have the, the chief whose wife uh, was like, she killed herself um, because of the way the town was going and sort of drove him to want to take these extreme measures. So it that aesthetic again. But he's really driven by something personal. It was the loss of his wife. Um, everybody else in the town may have uh, sort of a, a surface, you know, hey, we just don't want to lose our prestige motivation. The contrast of that with the initial assertion that it was a land grab. They originally, they originally go to arrest the Timothy Dalton character, and he, uh, and, and they go through this whole rigmarole of uh of him explaining that there's perhaps been land and it's like no it's not even close but no we just want we we just didn't want to not look pretty that was great because again all the time there's only so many ways you can you, you can tell these kinds of stories and by very very familiar turning it on its head um, doing something almost absurd, but coming up with some really fun motivations to get to the absurd, was an interesting take on a very, I not say tired, but on, on a very uh, used genre. And then of that, you, know, you were t- talking about you know, the idea of the, uh, the loose cannon cop versus the kind character of that uh, Angel portrays, or Simon Pegg portrays as Angel. Um, you know, we do have that, we do have that I- ideal in, in our movies too. the, uh, the, the Captain America type cop, you know, the one who, who, uh, um, not to mention and not to get personal and I'm not going to go off on a tangent here, but it's something that gets brought up all the time in my professional life. You know this idea of if you do a great job doing the same job does a shitty job, instead of trying to lift the shitty person up or replace them because they can't get they can't function, do their work for them because they'll whine about it. But I, I that is that is an the people who are out there in the office world. No this whole concept of you having to make up for somebody else's shitty work. (laughs) Um, And and it was funny because I was like, boy, boy, howdy. Have I, have I had that experience in my professional career of, uh, Hey, so much work or, 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 or could you do Sally's work because she's terrible, but you know, it would be, if, if we lost Sally so could you could you help her out and it's like you no know, as my father would say no good deed goes unpunished again these are all sort of familiar ideas to play around with uh, for this um, so in short uh, what we have here is your super cop from London who is shuffled shoveled off to the sleepy little village uh, making everyone look at her He's making They want to get rid of him. They send him there, and at 1st you he'll know, blend in, do his, do his thing, and only he realizes, hey, wait a minute, as they should be or, or as they would have you believe, starts so throwing the kids out of the bar uh, um, that shouldn't be in there, and he's starting to notice. And eventually, he comes to the conclusion that some of these people are being murdered. And I loved the idea that the pre any time that this has happened in the past, no one's questioned it. Because really, why who would murder in this town? You well, know like I hear the South Park Park bigger longer I cut in my head, this sleepy little podunk town. Um like murder crazy believable too because it's like because there are places like that where it's like nothing crazy ever happens here so when you is happening it's the furthest thing for, it goes it defies logic it goes against any, everything everyone believes because it's so far out there and that, that, that feeling of you know that Simon Pegg's character just sort of howling at the moon that listen all the evidence is there and everyone having sort of you know Nah, of uh, uh, this, this like no, no, this can't possibly, you know, two plus two can't possibly fuck. Um, you know, you have after another, and, and you know he's trying to get the other police that are not in on it uh, to to believe him, and they all think he's a douche nozzle too, too, and they won't cooperate. Thing after another, and finally things come to a head. And he realizes that it's not just one person, it's a group of people. And that brings us to the conclusion of the movie, where you know, they they, they tell him this wasn't about land, it was about we We'd be pretty, oh so pretty. Um and then we have the fucking gunfight in the street. Nick Frost to uh you know, he wants to be a, you know, an action cop. Um <laughs> Yeah. and uh you know and he makes for a good sidekick in this he doesn't do much more than be be a sidekick so he has a fun speech at the end say it it threw me i forgot how the movie ended and it really does like throw you for a loop when you know when you they've taken out the town they've processed everybody there's that whole sequence where they're you know
0: they're, they're, they're
1: buddies fingerprints and photo and everything, and they're all funny around at the end. Um, you know, he's sort of and very mundane. We have shit tons of paperwork to do. Never, you never see that in any, like other than The Wire, there's never any discussion of just how much needs to happen in your average arrest at work all the time somebody that gets brought in on like a simple trespass deputy or the has to sit at a desk and write a report you know that takes up like and that's again for a simple trespass you
2: know
1: they'd be there for hours so it it was was that sort of surprise ending of the, the first examiner coming out with the gun and and then good old Chekhov's gun they set this up earlier in the movie with the sea mine goes into the closet the sea mine falls on him and blows the whole place up it's like wow really Like, did the movie really need that at the end I guess so I guess that's that's cool and you get the false ending of you think the Nick Frost character is dead number one he took a bullet in the chest uh Number two, then they blew the place up um you know, they have the fake out ending, and then uh of course, the London he stays, and they they move on from there so uh you know overall, one criticism of hot
0: fuzz, and this just this might just be a subjective
1: I felt like none, except for maybe the woman who's just kind of, you know, there for laughs. But, like, the two detectives, I thought that, that there was, they were too negative. Like, there was nothing positive about them. And then when they turn, and they join him, and they have that whole showdown at the supermarket and everything, and they're on his side, it's like, yeah, but that doesn't make up for an entire movie where you're, where you're just lazy douche nozzles. Um, and I don't know. I just I, I thought the characters were balanced. Um, first of all, they were also like too samey. You know, I, we have two characters literally doing the exact same thing, and there's no conflict there. There's no change. Like maybe one character might you know might have disagreed or felt differently about the situation, even when the revelations came out about what was happening in the town. But it was like we need we have two characters doing the exact same thing, and they're just do the entire movie on his side. they're not much better. i thought that was maybe I'll give you a chance to respond to that, but uh that's really like my only criticism of the movie is that those characters bothered me, and I'm not entirely sure we needed to blow up the police station, but. <laughs> I'm not gonna not gonna criticize it too much.
2: You know what? I don't mind that they blew up the police station because even then, even that is sort of, you know, twisting the nose of the American conventions. It just isn't an action movie until a building blows the fuck up. You know, <laughs> it it it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's an airport, if it's Nakatomi Plaza, it doesn't matter if it's the White House, long as something goes kaboom, then, then you have truly punctuated your action movie. And as as for redeeming the other characters, you know what? I don't think they really needed to be redeemed. And I even wonder if that was their intention because maybe, because sometimes lazy assholes are just lazy assholes, and there's even something kind of fitting about the notion of okay, one noble act of valor in the nick of time does not make up for the fact you are a lazy asshole. That's There's something kind of apropos about that, so I don't I don't mind that. I didn't think they really needed to be redeemed. I think maybe they kind of needed to just sort of stand as they are because there's something that's a little more, <clears throat> a little more grounded about that. Um, it's uh, it, it's like a moment that my buddy Jeremy talks about one time back in the back in the late '90s. When he and uh, his best friend Steve, God rest his soul, uh, were watching, I want to say it was WCW Thunder. And it was the episode when uh, uh, Hulk Hogan finally made the turnaround from going from being uh, the black and white NWO heel to, to basically back to being the Hulkster. And uh, he started out the show in the black and white and there, and there was the big pivotal moment where all of a sudden he he basically cut a face promo and turned again. And at the end of the show, when he comes out for the main event tag match, he's wearing the red and yellow and either uh, Tony Schiavone or Mike today are, are just yeah, having a good old double towel splooge in their pants, screaming, Hulk Hogan is
0: back! Hogan <laughs> is back!
2: And Jeremy tells me that that Steve just screamed at the TV. All
0: he did was
2: change his underwear. <laughs> um. So I don't know. I, I I think I I think that would kind would kind of about have been my reaction if they had tried to play it. Tried to sincerely play it off, like, oh, okay, now they're going to show up when they're needed. They're going to be the cavalry. That and somebody said, oh, good, that totally makes up for what dickwad they were earlier. You guys are all right now. No, 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 no. That doesn't I, make up for everything else. <laughs> if, if I if, totally if, if get da- what you're saying, if, if, and if, if, I don't necessarily da- agree with you. Trump If Donald Trump springs for your Starbucks, that does not mean he never said grab her by the pussy. (laughs) Fuck your Trump talk.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) I don't disagree with you. Here would be my only counterpoint. While I would agree that realistically, no, you know, you you, you don't get to make up for a world of, of shittiness. In one, in one act, uh, no matter how big the act is. However, we are talking about a dramatic presentation. Um, you know, a key element to these movies is finding that balance between relatability and, and realism with, uh, you know, entertainment and dramaticism. And I feel like my problem with the characters isn't so much uh, isn't so much you know in the believability as it was I didn't find it entertaining after a while and then it became too much of the same thing over and over and over again and then when it changes there wasn't a significant enough change to keep me engrossed in either of those characters and, and before, before you say yeah but they weren't even the stars of the thing, they're still there, they play a major role. Of all the people that he has to deal with in that town. He deals with those two detectives, you know, as far as the secondary characters, the most, uh, they, they they're there in almost every scene that he's got to deal with a lot these various murders happening. And I think as I, like I said, aesthetically, dramatically, it was too samey for me that that's what I'm, I'm getting at. It was like, well, what else are we going to do with these images on the screen? To to keep this interesting, but again, I you're that 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 might just be me. Um, that said, uh, but you know, same question I had for you with uh, Shaun of the Dead. What uh, what other stand out things were there for you in Hot Fuzz? And is there anything left about this movie that you want to talk about?
2: I think we nailed pretty much everything. Uh, I think it bears noting that uh, God bless Edgar Wright for the fact that uh, for every action movie clip you see playing in the background he had to go around to the actors and stuntmen and get their permission for those clips to appear in the film uh, he had to pay uh, rights to the studios uh, for every DVD clip, DVD cover that popped up in the background So, man, that's a lot of trouble to go to. Uh, And overall, I feel like we covered everything except for the fact that, goddamn, hats off to Jim Broadbent and Timothy Dalton for just being a couple scene-stealing motherfuckers as the bad guys in this movie. Uh, I I love Jim Broadbent in almost anything he's in. Uh, He's one of those great... uh, Unless you're a, a real movie nerd, one of those that guy who was in that thing, actors, uh, Timothy Dalton. I don't think ever really gets the credit he deserves, um, despite the fact that you know, obviously I, I I loved him in stuff like uh, Chuck, Doctor Who. He was he was a decent Bond. Um, who just kind of had the misfortune to come along right when the the series badly badly needed to take some time off and get a breath of fresh air, but he he was really in I think want to say a red herring bad guy because uh, he he was kind of a perfect obvious guy to sort of head up the the, the conspiracy of the. The NWA with the other townspeople. So.
0: No, so otherwise <laughs> I, I think um, I, I think
2: it's a, it's a virtually perfect parody. It's a nearly perfect comedy, and I would agree that it's far and away, <clears throat> even if it's not the most personal exactly, the 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 best movie of the trilogy, and that's only because I gotta say. The world's end for as well intentioned as it was it just feels awkward out of place and I'm not really sure that's. That this is how I would have wanted this trilogy to end
1: yeah we, we need to talk about that and let me right up front say when I, when I I had forgotten what this movie was about to be perfectly honest with you and like, I, I, like, I knew I needed to watch it for this and that was fine. I was okay with that. Um, and, I, and like I said, nev- having never seen it before, it was one of those ones that I, I eventually wanted to see. But I distinctly remembered once they – I completely had forgotten what the twist was in this movie. What a twist. Uh, you know, regarding the aliens and the robots and whatnot. So when that reveal happens, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That now I remember why I didn't want to see this in the fucking first place because I thought the premise was really stupid. Um, which you know that might be heresy to some people, but I'm you know I'm entitled to my opinions, god damn it. Um, and I and I really did think the idea of a pub crawl, robot invasion, robot slash alien invasion was like, uh, I pass. This is not interesting to me. Now, I have been wrong before i they're just shocking i know (laughs) but i have uh been resistant to some movies in the past and have found out that i was wrongfully resistant and ended up really liking them the element of the world end that i really liked had nothing to do with the stupid robots and i actually felt it was kind of a distraction uh from what were some of the best parts of the movie because Some of the ideas in Shaun of the Dead, while developed nicely and portrayed on screen very well, um, still took somewhat of a backseat to fucking zombies. And the world's end, the relationship stuff and the personal growth stuff in the movie is so strong. And something... I don't want to make it seem like uh, like some of what they're struggling with were my own personal struggles, because that would be a lie. But I, I did get a sense of some of those struggles. You know, the, I, the, the idea of the, the boy, the Peter Pan, the boy that won't grow up, who is desperately clinging to the best years of, of his life and those memories. Um, and it has also become somewhat of a big shit bag. The guy who seemingly has everything, but really has nothing. That last little bit that the uh, Nick Frost character, Andy, um, has. <laughs> it's funny. It's the only character I remember whose name I remember. Um, but, you know, the, the Andy character says something great at the end of that movie. You know, in the midst of all the stuff happening and all this chaos, he says, you know, it, it, they're arguing over that last pint of beer. And trying to stop him. And um, the, the the Jack King, um, whatever the King character, the Simon Pegg says, this is all I've got. You've got everything. I've got nothing. This is all I have. And he was just like, it's not like that, though. It's something along the lines of... Um, uh, you think I have everything, but I really don't. My wife left me and she took the kids and he's going into this whole thing. And again, I, I don't want to make it sound like, yeah, I totally get that because I'm quite satisfied with my life, you know, with my wife and my kids and, and, and everything else. I wouldn't trade that for all the tea in China and all the gold in the world, um, to be perfectly honest. They are, they are my reason for getting up in the morning. But I do have regrets, and I do, on choices that I've made um, professionally, personally, outside of my wife and kids, I totally get of things are not always as, you know, cracked up as you think they are. The grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. Um and I totally got character two. The idea of get it together after high school and I made one bad choice after another. And it's just you know, and I and I just want to go back to when I was happy and I had my whole life ahead of me. Um <laughs> I was joking with a friend uh, and the same friend I brought up earlier. And I said, there are days where I, I look and I go, I, I, I wish I could go back and make different decisions. I know exactly where things went wrong and how I ended up where I did. And I wish I could fix it. Um, but I always come back to the same place that if I ever, if I ever got into a time machine, if the DeLorean ever shows up, and I, and I go back to 1994 uh, and I make different decisions, I won't have the wife and kids that I have now, and that's it's, that's not worth it. So that balance between being happy with the regrets from some of the terrible decisions that I've made, those were all elements of the movie that I was enraptured by. And I want, you know, because as I watch the movie, they get to this place in the movie where everyone recognizes that that the King character is so terrible (laughs) and there's like no redeeming qualities about him. He's such a sociopath very early in the movie to the point where I'm like, I think they were on like bar two when this happens, pub two, let's be British about it. Um, And, and that's when he's confronted Uh. Uh, initially by Andy. And I was like, wow, they got there really quickly. Like, I don't know what's left. And I, again, I didn't remember the robots. So I'm like, what is left of this movie if they're already getting to this very confrontational point? And then it, shortly thereafter, he fights a robot in the bathroom. I'm like, ah, got it. <laughs> Whoops, there's the rest of the movie. Okay, we're good now. Um, but there was other things too, which I didn't relate really as so, closely with, but were interesting to me. The idea of, of uh, Love Lost, you know, uh, the character who plays the, the douchey detective from Hot Fuzz, he plays one of the buddies in this one. And his character is basically the one who's, you know, pining after uh, Bilbo's sister. Yep, I'm just going to start car- calling these actors by their other character names. Um, he's just pining after the one's sister, and he's always been sort of cock-blocked by, uh, by King, And it's like, this is it. This is, you know, my, you know, his life too, where on the one hand, good job. On the other hand, divorced. Um, And he was like, you know, I missed an opportunity with this person because I kept shying away from King who always sucked up all the, all the light and energy in the room, uh, all the air. Uh, and, And he takes this opportunity to fix it. And of course it's, he's taking this opportunity partially because the world is ending around him. Um, so I, I thought all of that was, was interesting. And then you had something that I would very much relate to, you know, the one character who was bullied and he says something so poignant in this movie about uh, it's not even the horrors that he bestowed upon me and how much he torqued the kid. It's that when he saw me, he didn't even recognize me as if none of it ever mattered. And that's a very interesting and relatable idea. I mean, I know I got bullied. I was big enough that it never got physical because they'd gotten fucking killed if they had. But I couldn't do anything against any of the verbal abuse. I'm not that witty. <laughs>
0: you
1: know, I'm not that quick. Um, so, I, you know, so I got I got a lot of verbal stuff. And that idea of that if I saw these people today, I don't think they'd recognize me either. Granted, I also didn't have a full beard at the time, so who knows? But, you know, just there was a lot of, of psychodynamic emotional stuff happening in this. And then we got silly blue robot, you know, blue robots. And, and I'm still calling it silly. And a lot of it was. But the very end of the movie, where they're talking to the network, really sums it all up very nicely. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and then I'll throw it to you again. Because what's said and, and the, the whole theme of the thing was super relatable. This was my least favorite. Thematically, it was the most, uh, the most alluring, the most magnetic for me this idea of freedom. I want to be free to make decisions, even bad ones that living under the yoke of someone who's looking out for my best interest possibly, but this like, you know, he, he says the line, uh, Peg does, I want to be free to get loaded and have fun. Something along those lines. And while, you know, getting loaded is not my dream come true. Uh, independence is. I, I, you know, take the word loaded out and sub in there this idea of I never want to have to deal with a boss again, <laughs> and all that goes with it. I, 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 he said those things. I'm like, I am with you. <laughs> I am absolutely with this idea, and I'm and the reverse of it too. You know, the you uh, know this idea of a benevolent dictator or benevolent god saying you are children and in order to exist in this universe you need guidance I totally get that as a parent I totally get that and so there's this really nice thematic conflict that's wrapped inside a silly movie And, and it makes it probably the most complex of the three, as, as I'm talking about it. So I threw a lot out there, a lot of personal <clears> stuff, uh, some film-oriented stuff. So might, might be a lot to digest, so kind of pick, your, uh, pick the pork apart and, and tell me what you think.
2: And now it's my turn. Well, I'll say this. You're partially right about the themes, <laughs> but I'll get to that in a moment. And, you know, I feel like it's fitting that we would be talking about this movie as the very last film we're going to talk about on a regular episode of Long Road to Ruin. And I feel that way for a number of reasons. You know, as I look back right now on the fact that almost exactly four years ago we co-founded this show in the fall – just because I wanted a chance to rant angrily on a bunch of sequels that I didn't like that didn't really necessarily fit with my original show that I had with Jeremy Lambert, it occurs to me that I approach this as very much the acerbic, wild-eyed rant machine who just loved to go off on profanity-laden tirades about movies that I didn't like and every so often to get a chance to really praise and gush about the ones that I dug. I was a very different person then, as I've made no bones about. And it feels right that now in talking about this movie, instead of going off screaming and (laughs) inventing wholly remarkable new uses for the F-word – I'm instead, shall we say, having a bit of a final funeral for that character, for lack of a better word, and just once more stripping things away back to being my most earnest, personal, and honest, uh, which is kind of who I plan to be going forward in all things. Not that I'm not going to be funny when when the situation calls for it, but it's just that, well as I've sometimes had to point out to some disappointed people over the years, especially the last two, I'm not that guy anymore. And, you know, I want to think for a second about the very end of this movie and think about the the whole sum of what happens. And that is the fact that Gary, Simon Pegg's character, basically does everything that up to that point ever had been, all of the consequences that led up to the world as we knew it, everything that kept everyone around us comfortable. And just because he decided he wanted to do things differently, that was all torn asunder. It was a matter of him deciding, him deciding, hang on a sec. Sorry, my nose is still a little stuffed up. Uh, Because he decided that he wanted to change everything that he had that he had ever known, what he got, I'm sure, wasn't exactly what he expected. He ended up completely talking the network out of everything they everything they had built. The network summarily just gave up on their grand plan right when it was on the cusp of being fully realized, and as a result, they threw threw away about a century of communications advancement, and the world was plunged back into the Dark Ages. Oftentimes, over the last two years especially, I've had a lot of time to think, whether I wanted it or not, about a lot of mistakes that I've made, things I've said and done that have hurt a lot of people, things that hurt one person in particular. I've really been in Gary's shoes quite a bit. I've never let on about it on the air for damn easy-to-understand reasons, but folks... I had my share of nights between shows, times when maybe I was on hiatus when I laid in my bed here in Phoenix and cried myself to sleep actually praying that I wouldn't wake up because I lacked the conviction to kill myself. I'm not sure you really know rock bottom until you hit that point. It's a completely ineffectual, empty, lonely, powerless feeling. And it isn't something that I would wish on anyone. It's why I empathize with Gary so much. And it's why, quite honestly, I've never respected a movie so much without really enjoying it. It's Because really the theme that Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, right. by their own admission, set out to establish was not actually so much one of choice, but one of, well, in both a beautiful mix of a literal and figurative sense, alienation. In an interview, they said that they noticed that all the little towns in England where they grew up had been so overrun by franchises and big brand names and homogeneity that they were all unrecognizable. And it was an idea of going home and feeling like a complete stranger despite everything looking and feeling and seeming at first glance to be so familiar. It was being alienated from both, in a way, your present and your past. There's even a little bit of foreshadowing in the pub nicknames if you pay attention. The very first one they visit, the one where Gary first tries to really bluster himself up with confidence, is called The Famous Cock. That one in. Hmm. And obviously, I don't think anybody (laughs) really needs to to have the symbolism of the world's end explained. It's a sci-fi homage to homage to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is obvious to anyone who has ever seen that classic. And if you haven't, uh, either track down the original, or I do believe there is also an excellent, uh, I want to say, 1970s remake out there. I forget off the top of my head who was in it. Except that in in this instance, we're not so much making it an allegory for the fear-mongering of socialism, or communism rather to be more specific. But it's more so ju- so just the idea of everything everyone and everything we love from the past being swept away and changed not on the surface but in such an intangible way that we can't that we can't miss it beneath as to become to make it unrecognizable. <sighs> it's hard to watch. It's, it really, really is because before a lot of things happened and I was able to pull myself out of the dark place I had been and back to where I am right now, where I'm starting to pull my life back together. Yeah. You know, there were times I could look at a lot of the little comforts that got me through the day and realize that, well, it might not have been a big deal to anybody else. Some of this stuff was all that I had. It was all that distracted me. Uh, I was actually talking about this with a friend the other night. Uh, she was telling me about how much she had enjoyed playing the video game Life is Strange. And I had mentioned that despite the fact that uh, I had already fully watched several times up. Oh, Times over a full let's play of it uh, back about a year or so ago, that I still want, I still badly, badly wanted to play it. And she kind of scoffed the idea that I'd already watched the play through, and and told me that that was a bad idea. And I pretty much explained it as just that, as that I was going through a time when you know I didn't I didn't have much else to. Li- much else to live for sometimes when my depression was at its worst, but I could at least watch the latest episode and it would go away just long enough to sort of get me back on track. And so I understand that gravitation toward the past that Gary feels. It's, how can I put this? It's both easy... It's easy to be seduced not only by that, but by the notion that you think you have it figured out how easy everybody else around you has it. As I've learned so many times lately, it's never, ever that simple. Even with we love the most. And yet... This is where I have to point out that I didn't enjoy it all that much because try as it might, it was just so hard to watch the roles flipped on Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Simon Pegg is an immensely talented performer with scores of with just absolute limitless range. I don't think we've probably seen the best performances he can deliver. Uh, Nick Frost, uh, slightly less so. Still fun. Still fun to watch, but he's obviously better when he's, paired, when he's paired alongside Simon. Here we see him really playing against type. Nick is playing is playing the fairly clean-cut together straight man, obviously or so it would seem. And meanwhile, Simon is playing a well, a pretty goddamn deplorable human being. We don't want to root for him in this movie quite as much as we do in the other ones. In fact, is the focal point, but to everybody else that, if anything else, we feel sorry for. Sadly, it just lacks charm, but it's obvious that charm wasn't really what they were going for. They were trying to go for something Deeply personal, resonant, something that everybody could feel and that might not necess- and that they might feel with a sensation that doesn't necessarily let go easily. But at the same time, did I enjoy it? Did I relish watching it as much as I did the first time that I watched Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz? Sadly, no. I mean, it's a trilogy that I came to enjoy because it made me laugh, it made me light, and this all of a sudden had to go all maudlin and kind of hit me where it hurts and when I wasn't really, when I didn't really see the punch coming. So my opinion would be: by all means, go out, give it a watch. Be ready, though, because if you thought that there were parts of Shaun of the the Dead that touched you, this one's going to do that, too, except it's not going to be so much a touch as a little bit of a kick. Your mileage may may vary. Give it a shot. Personally, I saw it. I think I could probably go the rest of my days without days without seeing again but then again you know much like Gary it's a reminder of how much it's time I moved on from
0: uh, I
1: agree with a lot of what you said said there I and I certainly appreciate your candor uh, in admitting some of the places you've been uh, so I thank you for that um, mm-hmm. we've Believe me, I've had my dark places too. I don't really like talking about it right now, but I have definitely been on my ass and on my face in the dirt. So I get, so I totally get that. I think where I agreed with you the most in terms of craft and how this film was uh, how this film was put together was that it, it did lean too much on a lot of the themes. And while they are resonant, it's kind of like what I said about the the detectives in Hot Fuzz only amplified for an entire movie, which is to say, you know, as you were saying about um, Gary, it's like, there's nothing, there's no arc here. I mean, he doesn't really change from one moment of the film to the next. There's a tacit recognition that he's not happy with himself. And I think the most gut-wrenching and honest moment is when he tells Andy, I tried to get help, and he was like, they told me when to go to sleep. Now, look, as somebody who's been dealing with, with the substance abuse world for most of his professional career, I would like to stress that one more time, professional career, not
0: a drug <laughs> user, I work with the drug users.
1: <laughs> Jesus, I want to make sure everyone understands that but i I do get that sense that you know the expectation in the in the substance abuse and rehabilitation world is that you are a fundamentally broken person, and you need to give up uh, a lot of your your sense of self a lot of your uh, a lot of your free will in order to rid yourself of this monkey on your back and if there's anything that I think contributes to the failure of people to get clean it's that they don't want to do that and this is not the time or the place to debate the merits of substance abuse treatment but i will say when he's talking about they told me when to go to sleep and you compare that with a few minutes later when he's telling the network i you know i want to be free Therein, it's in the middle of those two statements that the whole movie really does rest. You know that there is that, there's a, that there are these forces that want you to conform and you know fit nicely in in the you night know, in in this hole, and there's this inherent resistance to fitting in that hole. Like I said before. That is something I very much identify with. And I struggle with to this day, this very work day, I was struggling with this concept of I am asked and I am required and I am directly told, be this way. And there's an expectation that I will be this way. And every fiber of my being wants to resist it. And all I have to hang on to is, well, I don't want to lose my house, so I guess I'm going to have to. And the recognition that I've been down this road before, I'm 40 years old, this is not my first day of work, and I've had this happen again and again and again, and I've learned and I've matured and I've gotten better at handling it, but better doesn't mean I, it, it ever went away. I still, I jokingly said to my wife, I said, I still have that punk rock ethos that I had mm-hmm. in high school. It's just buried. <laughs> it's buried under layers of alternating maturity and just defeat. So <laughs> the real pretty picture I'm painting, but, um, hmm. but you know, it, but there it is. So I, I get where Gary is coming from. Um, but the thing that I was getting at was, while that's great, in a movie that is supposed to be a comedy, you know, about, about the end of the world and about robots and whatnot, I didn't laugh very much. And it, it was kind of like what you were saying. Like, it, 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 was, it, it hit a little too hard for me to find any of it funny. And the stuff that was just supposed to be purely funny wasn't funny enough. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, it was on the one hand too emotional and on the other hand not witty enough. I just, like, it missed the mark on a lot of levels. It's not a poorly constructed film. It's just, it's just a combination of characters you don't want to root for, uh, a lot of emotional relatable stuff going on that makes it a little less fun to watch. And a general plot that I just found boring. Like I said, if this had been strictly a character piece and a study and a study of one's own maturity and how they fit into this world, I guess it would have been fine. But to then jam robots into it and expect, hey, let's have a fun romp, Mike, easy. (laughs) You know. Let's let's not throw Star Wars in the middle of fucking Schindler's list. It doesn't go together.
2: And you know, speaking of the whole idea of maturity, let's not forget that in the end, the the ultimate the ultimate ultimate the the ultimo dragon, <laughs> the 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 ultimate denouement for Gary is yeah he sobers up, but instead of reconnecting and making amends with his lifelong friends. He's instead palling around with the android versions of their younger selves, and it ends with them getting into a fight at a bar. I mean, that's... Yeah. You want to talk about... We are no better you off talk. than we were. No, the, the only way he's better off is in the fact that, well, number one, judging from Andy's general demeanor, he doesn't seem to bear Gary any ill will, but he he's more stuck in the past than he's ever been. The only difference is, you know, thank heaven for small favors. He's at least sober. Uh, I mean, he, he, he's at least ordering water instead instead of pints of lager. So... Yay! I, I never, I never thought that uh, I would be kind of just wanting to golf clap for a character's sobriety. But in this well, case, I think it's about my it would be remiss if you
1: did not. Right. I think we would be remiss if we did not at least recognize this much. The one thing that Gary has, you know, as far as a win, as far as an arc or anything else. Is that he is free at the end of the movie? It's at the cost of civilization itself, but he's at least free. Oh so, Yeah. Well, what are you what are you saying there, Mister Mister Wright? Um, I I I want to end this podcast discussion of these three movies by talking about a different movie, a movie that, under the column uh, under the heading of hmm. what might have been, which is always one of my okay. favorite parts of the show. Uh, it's usually something you bring up. It's usually something you bring up oh. um, the, you know, when we talk about production notes and stuff in the what might have okay. been column. But I could not, at the end, watching these three movies, I could not help but think of what might have been if Marvel hadn't come up with the concept of the cinematic universe and therefore jammed their ideas into Edgar Wright's vision of an Ant-Man movie. If we had gotten ah. a pure unadulterated Edgar Wright Ant-Man without Marvel's blessed interference what they might have come up with and well, well look I am a I am a Marvel flag bearer if there ever was one I I, I have very little in the negative to say about it other than <laughs> their villains are worth a shit but <laughs> And if you'd like to hear more about that, go listen to our podcast. Rob Winfrey and I, we rail against Marvel villains um, in the archives. But I, uh, there is a small part of me that, that does wish that Marvel uh, took a step back and let some of these directors really play in the sandbox and, and not be so tied to the uh, the scripture that is the cinematic universe, and I and mm-hmm. and to draw this back to center, I and I know you're, you're dying to tell me something here, so I'm gonna let you do it. But okay. I wish I had gotten to see what the vision for Ant Man was, because I think it would have been Marvel.
0: Go ahead.
2: Oh. Um... Well, now, I got a little more now Now that I've, you've kind of expanded on that a little bit. But I was going to say, in terms of the idea of Edgar Wright directing Ant-Man, let me just say this. I, I mean, in particular, the very first thing that pops to my mind, if you don't watch that scene of Emilio recounting how he heard about the big score at Hank Pym's place, and you don't think of the, of the – we go to the Winchester, grab a pipe, wait until this whole thing blows over. Blows over, little <laughs> set of little set of montages from Shaun of the Dead. Then that right there is my first giveaway that you've never seen Shaun of the Dead. It was the first thing that popped into my mind. Uh, <laughs> but sure, uh, no, I I completely agree that at one point Marvel went from starting out letting its directors very much have free reign do things their way to Age of Ultron, to be honest with you, is where it really hit critical hit critical mass with a lot of things. Um, I can't tell if it's Kevin Feige Feige Fo Quads. Yeah, Kevin Fuhuga quads. Um
1: Kevin Fugad or no, we're yeah. gonna go with uh, yeah. we're gonna go with Kevin Fugazi.
2: Yeah, Kevin Fettuccini, that's what I said. Um, and okay. <laughs> or, or or if it was or if it was Disney who was really influencing the direction. But uh in talking with uh my good friend Cara from FPG News, uh really I have to wonder if some of these directors if they had maybe had a little more control in particular, uh, wouldn't have maybe spoken up about a few more things that ended up being really problematic, uh, especially a lot of character issues that are dealt with. Um, I've, I've often wondered, was it Joss Whedon or was it Disney who really a kind of in it kind of influenced black widow proclaiming herself a monster because she was barren um,
0: <laughs>
2: or, or 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 basically just kind of brushing tony stark's ptsd right off the table um ig- ignoring uh clint barton's history of familial abuse and his deafness things like that um, I don't know. Uh, there were times when, uh, to kind of take things back to Ant Man a little, little bit before I get too far off track, uh, there were times where yeah, it really did still feel a little bit like an Edgar Wright movie. But uh, they're really few and far between, and I, sadly, I've never really gone and looked at whether uh, Edgar or anybody else has acknowledged. Okay, this was what happened that really put me off the project entirely um, did you Did you ever read anything ever ever hear anything?
1: I mean, I know that um, in all truthfulness, uh, and Winfrey and I actually discussed it without knowing any other of the details, and we did know some. It did look like a mashup. Uh, it was kind of like a non-incompetent version of Fantastic, you know, which which felt like two different movies jammed together and thrown out there. Ant Man absolutely felt like half an Edgar Wright movie and half, you know, Marvel uh, cinematic universe movie. You could feel where the influence of Edgar Wright was taken out. And the marvelness was put in, and vice versa. You you could definitely feel like you were watching an Edgar Wright movie, uh, in certain areas. So it, it was a it was an interesting. When when Robert and I talk, uh, reviewed the movie last year, you know one of the, that was one of the things he said is like it was a very weird film experience because you you got this feeling like it was a very confused. Not that the plot was confusing in any way, pretty simple. Hmm. But it it thematically, um, craft wise, everything felt very jumbled. Um, so the absol- they absolutely, I know for a fact they kept elements of his vision, but they hmm. had to jam in Falcon, and <laughs> there was just, there was just a lot of stuff that was kind of they they threw a lot of ingredients into the gumbo. And then was like, okay, well, it's not your original recipe in any way, shape, or form, but it's got your essence in it. Your essence is in the gumbo.
2: Yeah, now now that you mention it, uh, as much as I enjoyed that sequence with Falcon, I can't deny it. It felt forced. It felt felt like Mm -hmm. we have to, by hook or by crook, get something right in the movie that connects this directly to everything else that's going on in the MCU. Uh, Like, you know, the, the, the mid and post credit sequence definitely was not going to, was not going to be enough. Uh, And maybe that's why, that's why it was in there. Maybe they needed something so that uh, uh, Falcon later when he's convening with, uh, with Steve Rogers Get get out of that line. Yeah, I might know a guy. Um right. it did it did kind of yeah, set I mean, that up.
1: Marvel is nothing. hmm I was gonna say Marvel no, I, is I nothing without its it, connective tissue. But it was
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they and and they do that really well, but it's also it's very easy for that to feel for that to feel forced um i think that early on uh when you look at well basically most basically the movies that led up to the first avengers it felt much more subtle a, a little more smooth and judicious with how they worked it in there right whereas whereas everything else um it, it, it feels like way too convenient a name drop. Um, that's that's just made to sp- just made to pop the nerd boner, you know. Uh, in, in Winter Soldier, as long as we're rattling off everybody that Hydra is going to be keeping track of, oh, what the hell? Let's throw Stephen Strange in there. Um, <laughs> just fucking forgetting the entire the entire I mind fact.
0: <laughs>
2: you, you don't you don't mind Lance last. I, I
1: I was gonna say I I I didn't mind the subtle ones. When they got to Age of Ultron and it turned into Daffy Duck's Scarlet Pumpernickel uh, script, where it was like by the end of it and then the dam broke. I was like, oh come on, like do we do we need all these references? Do we need all this shit jammed into this movie? <laughs> poor poor Josh. Whedon. <laughs> Just uh, it broke Josh Whedon, goddamn it! And Age of Ultron broke that poor man. It was like, listen, we'd like you to take ten pounds of shit and shove it into this one pound bag. What do you think about that, Josh? And he went, Mama
2: Well and um you know <laughs> and and then and then there are those times when the references really don't pan out to anything. Like like how they um my favorite one right. is uh wedging a Howard the Duck cameo into Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and then promptly telling the world, just so we're clear, no, we have absolutely no intentions of make, of making a Howard the Duck movie. It would be like... Well, since I haven't seen it yet, since I'm going to see it probably on Christmas Day since I have nothing else going on, um, it would be like if, for fuck knows what reason, uh, Doreen Green, uh, the unbeatable squirrel girl, were to show were to show up at the end in an end credit sequence in there, and then uh, in Kevin Feet Fetish uh, were to pop up in an interview and say, what, Marvel, no, no, we just put her in there as a lark. We don't even own the rights to her character. God, no, we're not making a Squirrel Girl movie. God damn you. (laughs) <laughs> wow, we so, somehow ended up talking with that about Marvel said,
1: movies. Um, I yeah, there's a shock. Um, <laughs> Mr. Wright, I, we we've talked about everything. <laughs> we've talked about everything but him. Um, he he has a very distinctive style. It, it I mm. think in a row it gets a little it gets, can be a little repetitive. These sort of close up cuts that he does, but it's it's a very distinctive style. In uh, as far as being a competent craftsman, he's probably one of the best. He's very quirky. He's made, well, even with all the positive and negative things we've said about these three movies, they're some of the most interesting I've seen in quite some time. And I know that there's other people out there going, but what but Paul Thomas Anderson and this person and that person. Okay, let me be specific. These are the most interesting movies that didn't bore the fuck out of me. So... um, <laughs>
2: You know, I mean, yeah, I was, your I was, mileage may yeah, vary.
1: You may feel different.
2: but as, as long as we're talking <laughs> about directors with the last name Anderson, yes, uh, he's he's quirky. He has a very distinctive style, but uh, the, the thought that immediately popped into my head was, you know, unlike that pretentious douche Wes Anderson, <laughs> who I think has made what has made. <laughs> let's see, <laughs> I. I I almost said one, but then I couldn't remember if he made election, which I really liked. I don't think he did uh so yeah, so yeah, I'm going to say yeah Rushmore. so one movie that I actually genuinely really found fa- really found interesting that's it and otherwise, every other time i've watched uh steve's uh the life Aquatic or the Royal Ten Bounds, it hasn't been overtly bad, but I just wanted to turn to kind of every hipster friend, hipster skinny jeans wearing friend of mine and tell them to put the fucking Paps Blue Ribbon down and stop eating their (laughs) pesto linguine out of a mason jar and tell me what the hell is so great about this guy because I just don't get it. Whereas, uh, whereas on the other hand,: yeah, when it comes to Edgar Wright movie, we, movies, we've just spent, you know, the, the better part of two hours talking about so many things that could translate across, especially all three of these movies that you can point to and go, okay, this is exactly why I like him." It's the same reason I can point to uh, yeah. Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez and more than just, oh, this movie is starring so-and-so, oh, it's directed by, so, by so-and-so? Fucking ticket. Now, take my money, I will shoot it at you with a <laughs> pneumatic cannon if I have to. Just give me my ticket, give me my popcorn and leave me the hell alone for two hours.
1: Take my money, please.
2: Alright, I think that,
1: uh, that wraps it up for uh, this edition of Long Road to Ruin in our Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy review. Um, I want to just a a quick sort of... um, (laughs) a quick um, statement about this show in general. I came to Sean a couple of years ago because I have a great love for talking about movies. I also have a great love for talking about music. These are two things I've done... For the better part of my life. This is how I related to people. Uh, I spent hours at a party once debating the merits of old Metallica versus new Metallica. I've spent countless hours discussing the merits of this movie versus that movie. This comic book character versus that one. These are things I am passionate about these are the things I'm passionate about. I've always been passionate about movies. I've always been passionate about music. And if it weren't for those two elements of life, I don't know how I would have gotten through some of the periods where I, I was not doing well. Uh, music and movies always carried me through and finding people to talk about them with has always been a great joy of mine. And it's been fun. Um, We've had some fun, we've had some interesting shows. We've definitely had some interesting discussions. Mm-hmm. I've met some really great people uh, over the course of this time. Um, and so I want to thank them. First uh, and foremost, I have to thank Sean for agreeing to do this mm-hmm. with me. He didn't have to. He really didn't know me from a hole in the wall. Um, we've never actually physically met in person. Uh, but he, yep. we met through a, another mutual virtual body, Mr. Jeremy Lambert, so, to Jeremy Lambert, thank you for introducing me to Sean. Um, Amen. And to you, Sean, thank you for being a part of this. Uh Aww. I, <laughs> I also have to thank Robert Winfrey, who, you know, as far as super fans go, he, uh, yes, he has his own show on here. Yes, we do a show together. But if there's anybody who's, that I'm aware of who's listened to more Long Road to, Long Road to Ruin, than uh, directly involved with it. It was probably him. Uh, he, for the longest time, would listen live and send us notes and you know, communicate through Facebook and everything. And uh, in times where I had to take a hiatus to father a child <laughs> mm-hmm. or just take a break uh, for mm-hmm. a number of personal reasons, Robert was there to fill in. I have to thank my damn you Hollywood host, Mr. Robert Winfrey, for really being as much a part of this show as either myself or Sean. Uh, he is a he's a good friend, and he's greatly appreciated. Um, I want to thank some of the, the Jesse Starcher, who I didn't even realize was a fan of this show <laughs> for the longest time. He's our third chair now in the Metal Hammer of Doom. He's a really good guy. He's a great host of his own show. Uh, source material and he's another one who used to listen in and send us notes and there was always very enthusiastic about this um so I, I i appreciate jesse i appreciate everything he's done for this network for myself for the show uh and i you know i don't know what i would do with without him um <laughs> have one less per- have have one less person putting up stuff on on blog talk radio for me when i'm too busy i guess that's what i would i'd have to figure out uh speaking of super fans andrew graham um my uh my good buddy there from canada another fan of the show uh another fan of the network um of uh, someone who's i've become face uh friends with on facebook just uh one of these guys who you know who's always giving us feedback And has been, we've had him on a couple of shows here. He was great to have on. He had great, he had some great insight during the Bourne trilogy and some of the other shows. And again, very much appreciate the time and energy he put into this. Again, this is not a paid gig. Nobody has to do this. But people, people volunteered, people showed up, you know, and participated when I needed them to. Uh, I'm leaving people out. I apologize, but uh, your your friend Jason, he was on our he was on uh, our show with the alien predator. I had him on for Star Trek. He was great. Profit. So thank you to him for being a part of the show. Gavin, um, Chris from the Casual Heroes, uh, they've been on some select shows here and there. I appreciate them. Oh gosh, Pat. Pat was on a couple of shows, Mr. Pat Mullen, formerly of the Ground and Pound show. Um, again, he we still talk pretty much daily in our Facebook chat. Uh always appreciated his help with uh, with some of these shows. My wife <laughs> I thank her for two reasons. One, for putting up with this. This is you know, I'm in my living room, in between my kids' room and our bedroom, and she has to put up with me once a week, yelling and screaming into the computer for one reason or another which she didn't have to. Um, but she also has been on a, a couple of our shows. She was on the Twilight one. She was great. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a great, great tolerant woman who has banned Weird Al Christmas songs from the house.
0: Aww. Which I find very
1: amusing. Um, anyway. Crazy. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Yes. Yeah, inappropriate is what she tells me.
0: Um,
1: anyway. So thank you, Melissa. Love you. You're currently sleeping. You're not hearing this. Um, and and that's really... I'm going to throw it to Sean for his, for his final word. I'm going to let him have the last word here other than... But as I said, we had a lot of people involved with the show. I to, oh, by the way, and thank you, Alexis, also. Alexis. is this, 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 this.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah.
1: Our Harry Potter show. Uh, but um, I just want to say again,
0: uh
1: You know, I I doing these podcasts. This is my outlet. This, you know, I don't get to do this stuff very often. My friends are all in New York, (laughs) and I don't uh, and I don't get to talk to them very much anymore. Life life gets in the way, and so my outlet to just sort of turn my brain off and think about some other stuff besides my my daily life life stressors. This is a timeout for me. This is this is fun. This is my time at the gym. This is roller coasters. I can have a, I can have a, a, a a genuinely positive debate or discussion about movies is great fun. And it's been great fun doing long road to ruin. And it's been great fun with Mr. Comer. So again, thank you to everybody who bothered to listen to this. Thank you, Larry Zonka. Larry Zonka from 401 Mania, who, big fan of this show, you know, po- posts this stuff on Twitter, reminds everyone to tune in to listen. He's been listening while he's out there playing video games in his house somewhere. Thank you to him. <laughs> Again, nobody has to do any of this stuff, but you did, and I appreciate you. Any last words?
2: You know, thank you for letting me kind of have some time to say some thanks to my own uh first of all I apologize for any redundancy uh, but I also owe a lot of gratitude to a lot of the same people and also if you're out there listening please do not take your place in in the or, in the order of this list as any kind of slight whatsoever um, I'm just kind of going with these as I think of them uh, but first and foremost um, you know i've I've done I've I've collaborated creatively with a lot of people over the years. And unfortunately, I, not all of them have necessarily become more than collaborators. Uh, meeting Mark, just because I had an idea that for a show that wouldn't necessarily fit on what was then Bad Movie Review Club, was it it gained me not only one of my favorite people to work with, but somebody that I consider and would, even if we were to never do a podcast together again, a true, absolute, genuine friend that I would want with me to the end of the earth. Uh, Mark Rodlich, thank you so very much from the deepest bottom of my heart for all the great times we've had making this show, making other shows, And for all the times that you have been a supportive rock to me when I was at my lowest and reminding me that when I got my head straight and the fog had kind of cleared that I would still have a place I could come back to. Uh, That meant more to me than I was ever able to express. And obviously I I look forward to you and I podcasting for a long time to come. We are not done by a damn sight, man. Uh, but, uh, this, uh, this has shown me that I have a passion for this that I never, that I never knew ran so deep. And it has also given me a tremendous, tremendous, it's, it's been an outlet. It's been a motivator. It has been an anchor. It's been a constant. And I want it to stay that way for hopefully years to come regardless of of what else it is that we end up doing. From there, uh, you know, I remember back when Robert Winfrey and I uh, were doing our our Hellraiser two-parter, one of my very favorite editions of the show that we ever put together. And during the, at some point during the show, I believe it was either during Hell, yeah, it was during Hellraiser, Uh, I happened to mention that we were looking to spice up our promotion and we were hoping to find somebody out there who might be, who might know a title card artist uh, who would work for fairly cheap. As it turns out, we had a regular listener whose idea of cheap was hell man, I'll do it for nothing. And Benjamin. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I forgot. (laughs) It's okay, man. (laughs) Um, continue, but I'm uh, so sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, Ben became so much more than a title card artist to myself and Mark. Mark. Uh, he became, well, like so many other people, uh, a, a, a true beloved friend, not just of the show, but of the two of us, and has been ever since. Uh, we have We've gone from just talking about movies to we have talked music, wrestling, MMA. Oh God, comics! So damn many times. Um, I remember Ben watching the Crow sequels uh, with me via with me via chat Uh we were getting ready for that show, and and him even putting together a nice little uh, a nice little Photoshop. When I made a crack about how uh, I want to say it was Edward Furlong. Uh, in the makeup looked like looked like uh Zoe Deshnell had gone hog wild with a hot topic gift certificate. And the son of a bitch actually photoshopped it. <laughs> <laughs> um, ben, love you man. You are welcome to be on any show we are on anytime. We will find something for you, something for you to do. Um just What what more can I say, man? One of the finest human beings I've ever met. Uh, I would certainly echo the feelings about Robert Winfrey. Uh, Robert and I struck up a conversation uh, during a show. uh, It was it was during the the Paranormal Activity podcast. Uh, Just I could tell from the way he he referenced movies to me. He referenced the movies and how. And the Saw movies, and uh, I'm rambling a little bit, and made a I remember a very apt Terminator comparison to explain uh, Toby in uh, in the um, in the Paranormal Activity movies, and from then on, I just went this this man shall be my friend and And good old Sam the Eagle, uh we have had some <laughs> weird converse, some weird conversations that uh, you guys will never know about uh, uh everything seems to always involve into Invader Zim jokes between us uh to my great great pride. Um, but Robert is a gentleman and a scholar and somebody else that I would never have met had I not had the opportunity to do this show. And the same goes for you too, Robert Cooper. I haven't forgotten you, man. Uh, you are you are a weird guy sometimes, but you are quirky, warm, friendly. You always have a kind word. Um, I appreciate the times you allowed me on Metal Hammer of Doom uh, to kind of let my, my musical jones out a little bit. Uh, just a, truly, truly an incredible... An incredible guy. And I have got to get back on your show sometime in the near future. Speaking of Metal Hammer, uh, Jesse Starcher, my God, man. Uh, hey, you came on as kind of a new addition to Rodolich and Broadcasting. And I'll be damned, man. I'm going to come right out and say it. Your show, a lot of times, pretty much surpassed ours. Uh, you became... An absolute superstar, who's a joy to listen to every single week. I love source material. I regret that I haven't been on it more often. That's got to change. We got to do something about that. Uh, there's so many books that we have that we haven't talked about. Um, kind of along those lines too. You know what? I'm putting aside their probably very understandable feelings about me and mine toward them. Hats off and a cup raise to Jason Teasley, Pat Mullen, and Gavin Napier. Uh, you have all definitely stepped up and contributed my, mightily to a lot of great creative moments. Uh, I had to step away for a while for the sake of my own sanity. I appreciate what you did to keep the show going. And I wish all three of you the best the best of luck in whatever it is you might be doing um andrew graham one of one of the absolute smartest guys i have ever known a great great canadian great man great ho- great hockey fan damn you for liking the sharks but you know nobody's perfect uh, and just a, a joy to talk martial arts with mixed martial arts mo- movies that absolute absolutely anything um you know, proud son of one of the greatest countries in the world, in my, in my opinion, and someone else that I would have never met uh, had it not, had it not been for this show. And James Rocco, same goes for you, man. I I love it when you just kind of randomly ping me on Facebook just because you want to talk, because it's usually when I kind of need a breather anyway. <laughs> um, devotion like that, you just can't help but appreciate it because you don't have to listen, but you do you make sure you tune you tune in and i hope to god you'll you'll still tune in just as much to on trial and share your opinions with me there that being said um alexis uh someone who knows me about as about as well after 16 years as just about anybody possibly can thank you for being on the show thank you for being such a wonderful friend thank you for being so supportive uh, she has helped me out with trivia and bouncing ideas and thoughts and jokes off her so many times. I just calling her at random throughout throughout the day, which makes sense because she is technically kind of my boss. Uh, yeah, yeah, another one who is just welcome to collaborate anytime we have we have something that you know perks your ears up. Um, Jeremy and Anne, my. <laughs> My uh, my two longtime friends and hopefully future podcast hosts—two more people I could say the same thing about—always supported me, tuned into the show, gave me gave me their feedback. Um, couldn't ask for two people to help keep me sane. And uh, I think last but not least among the really personal ones, and it's it's hard to when it comes to this one. But I'm going to try not to get too personal. Uh, Scarlett, you have, you have been bringing out the best in me for six years. And it's, uh, a best version of myself that when we met, I, I would have sworn was, was gone. It, it was buried lifeless. Um, my best, most earnest, funniest Moments on this on this show um, are are you kind of coming to the surface <laughs> in a way, um, and you've always been honest with your feedback, and you know, whether it's whether it's been criticism or encouragement, and more importantly than, than any time I spend speaking to uh, to an audience. Um, you've meant the world to me in the terms of being my anchor, being my compass, being my northern star. People like you come along once every few lifetimes, and that's if this world is lucky. And nothing I, I ever say in this lifetime or probably the next will ever do justice to just how highly I think of you and and how much of my continued creative passion and my will to be better I owe to you. And I mean every last breath of that. And last but damn, absolutely sure not least, thank you to every single last one of you, everyone who listens live, everyone who downloads, everyone who passes the link on to a friend, everyone who bothers to pass along their feedback, everyone who's offered us movie suggestions. you know Obviously, we love what we do, but we do it because we believe there are people who want to hear us. Without you, there is no us. There, there is no this. So thank you for the part that you play in that. This is not the end. Obviously, On Trial is coming next year. Can I both feel as refreshed and ready and pumped for this as we ever have? So, for the last time under the Long Road to Ruin banner, I'm Sean. You're not. $20 will buy Mini Peanuts. And just as surely as it is etched across my shoulders in black ink, never dull your colors for someone else's canvas.
1: All right, folks, it's been real. Uh, It's been a show. Um, This is it. We are done with Long Road to Ruin for the foreseeable future. Uh, As Sean said, Will and I said at the beginning of the show, we got a new jam called On Trial. Going to be me and Sean, uh, defending and prosecuting a single movie, and uh, partially because I wanted to change format and partially because trying to sit down and jam an entire entire franchise into a very small viewing period became untenable. So uh, just uh, just because I like to reschedule,
0: real quick.
1: Yeah, right over there. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, um, just some of the uh, stuff that I got planned. I got some of the stuff I got planned for next year. Uh, As Sean said, we're going to be doing um, Big Trouble in Little China to start off with. Um, Inception uh, in January, February. We got Resident Evil. And again, this is partially why I wanted to do this. We're gonna do Halle Berry's Catwoman um, in February. <laughs> uh, in March, X Men Origins In In March, one of the ones I picked out um, was X Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, we try to do that around the same time that Logan comes out. Yes, because I'm I'm not I'm not moving in, in any way away from synergy. <laughs> not happening. Um, in, uh, in May, I thought it would be fun with, uh, with the new King Arthur movie coming out. We would look at the 2004 masterpiece, King Arthur, um, with the dude that played Mr. Fantastic. Uh, I remember seeing that one in the theaters. Uh, I thought that would be a fun one to uh, have a debate over. Um, September, uh, when, I'm sorry, June rather, when Wonder Woman comes out, on trial, Superman Returns. Which is one that I refused to talk about when we did the Superman Long Road to Ruin, and so, you know, we'll have a we'll have a chance to get to the one we never got to, Superman Returns. Um, still gonna do, uh, um, the Amazing Spider-Man in July. i mean sorry, rather Amazing Spider-Man Two. Um, I'm gonna uh, absolutely let Sean pick one for the month of July, but I picked an extra one just because we got to do it. Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes.
0: Uh, Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Yeah, these are some challenging ones, I'll tell you. And I know that I'm probably going to do either... um, Oh, um, I know in October, when the new Friday the 13th prequel comes out, uh, probably do the last Friday the 13th, um, or Blade Runner, I haven't decided yet. But we are definitely doing On Trial Halloween 3. Sean made a point. Don't want to do this.
2: Wait, wait, wait. Your Your Honor, uh, point of order. When you say the last Friday the 13th, are you talking about the last reboot? Or are you talking about Jason Goes to Hell? The last reboot. Oh, okay. Yeah, actually, I would have been wrong anyway, because I forgot that after Jason goes to hell. But before Freddy versus Jason, there was Jason X. So, <laughs> But yeah, Yeah, if,
1: if Jason either. X is the one where he goes yeah. to space, I've been debating that one as well. <laughs> so, yep, uh, Sean, made a... <laughs> Sean made a mention of it. We will definitely be doing Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Um. I got nothing, No, I got no ideas for November. Uh, and then in December, for sure, before the end of the year, we will be doing On Trial Jumanji with uh, Robin Williams. So there's just some of the, because there's Jumanji coming out with The Rock. Again, synergy. So, appetizer for you, some stuff I got planned. I got, you know, I got to get together with Sean and get more of his picks Penciled into the calendar, but I figured, you know, maybe I'd let 2016 finish before I start pressuring him to come up with ideas. Um, but those are some of the ones that I'd want to do. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, these, this is a, this is one one fun list. So with that said, because God, what's a show! what's a long road to ruin without an hour long, without an hour worth of plugs. Um, to the all to, to to Ben and Cooper and anyone who we didn't mention the first time. Ben, I still have your stuff hanging on my wall. You know I love you, even if I forget to mention you the first time. So with that... We all love Ben. (laughs) Uh, This is it? Yes. Uh, I've got nothing more to say. We'll uh, see you next week for our reviews of Rogue One. Sean will be back for the review of Assassin's Creed. Tomorrow's Metal Hammer of Doom is our last official album review. Uh, We've got a Christmas show and then our year-end review, and then we're done with that for the year. So with that, thank you all once again. If you've stuck with with this show this long, I appreciate you listening to all of our thank yous and plugs. Be well, be safe, and behave.